Well, hi there. Welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cotrera Show. Coming up on this podcast for Thursday, January 21st, Peel's top doctor will join us to discuss how that large outbreak at the Canada Post Hub could have been avoided and what we can learn from it. Plus, how online vaccine conspiracy theories could affect our goal of herd immunity and who's most at risk of buying into them. But first, let's talk about something concerning that was released today. The CFIB, the uh, Canadian Federation of Independent Business, has uh, released a forecast of how many small businesses may vanish very soon. Uh, We welcome to the show Dan Kelly from the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses. Dan, welcome to the program. Happy to be with you. So um, every time we get you on, unfortunately, it's not good news. We have a hundred and yeah, tell me about it. We have a hundred and eighty-one thousand small business owners that are seriously considering permanent closure. That's putting more than two point four million jobs at risk. This is according to your latest estimate by the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses. Dan, how do you get the estimate? We do extensive survey research of our members across Canada uh, and, and then total up what they're telling us. So we asked our members how many of them are certain they're going to survive, how many of them are certain they're going to close, and how many are at risk of, close, of closure during COVID-19. And then we extrapolate that against the entire small business population of the country. Uh, there are about uh, 1.1 million businesses with paid staff thousands more, millions more actually self-employed Canadians. Uh, But the big worry is that so many businesses now, especially now facing a second round of lockdowns uh, in more and more parts of Canada, they're telling us that they're not going to make it. And and that's the data that we're out with today. One in five businesses may be gone forever before the pandemic finishes. Well, how do how many businesses have we actually lost so far? You know, last year, do we have an estimate on that? Yeah, StatsCan tells us that about sixty thousand businesses have already gone inactive. Uh, that means that they're likely uh, closed. Uh, but the data is still coming in, and of course, look, uh, businesses do close in good economic times too. It's not uncommon. Of course, we all know that we have you you see restaurants turning over all of the time, but. But this is it. We're worried about this in net terms because there are, because there are very few people that are courageous or right, uh, courageous enough right now to start a new business in the middle of a pandemic. So we've slowed business startups to a crawl. Business failures at at uh, kind of new record levels. That's going to make a huge huge difference, I think, in the months ahead as we see more and more boarded up locations across our city, across our province. Well, you have to be verging on insanity or uh, dealing with a, a business that's related to the pandemic to start a new venture right now, don't you? There there are some, and and in fact, one of the struggles that that new businesses are having is they are not getting access to any of the government support programs. Remember, in 2020, there were, you know, it takes a while to get your business going. So we have thousands of small business owners that started up in 2020, but that was because their business planning and, and, and all of their purchases happened in 2019. We had business owners, restaurant owners that opened a new restaurant in June 2020 in the middle of the pandemic because their their start date was deferred due to the pandemic. Uh, They've spent four hundred, six hundred thousand dollars in some cases and now have no customers closed again to traffic in 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 the dining room. uh, And they're really struggling. So this has affected businesses, new, old, 
but I really worry about the not just the number of businesses that are disappearing, but of course, all the jobs that go with them. Yeah, let's talk about uh, independent businesses. I got an email from a listener to the show, and also uh, we've had him on the program before. His name is Jim Cochran. He's the owner of St. Anne's Spots, a rural community. It's in a rural community east of Toronto. It's called Grafton, Ontario. I've been to the spots, a really special place, and it employs more than 250 people. Now, uh, he has uh, said that the day the stay-at-home order was announced here in Ontario, they took $70,000 in cancellations. And the provinces is offering the province offer of $20,000 in relief, he says, is a joke. So he started this letter-writing campaign to urge them to lift some restrictions here. Um, he wrote one over a week ago, and then he wrote one just the other day. And he said that uh, he's heard from three members of uh, parliament. He wrote to all of them, in fact, um, and they were from the NDP caucus. He's he's absolutely crestfallen and he just doesn't understand why places where the numbers are low uh, have to adhere to such stringent lockdown orders that could be crippling to businesses. When you're talking about $70,000 worth of cancellations in one day and your relief is $20,000, uh, I don't know how you you carry on. No, it's it's very true. Look, even with full utilization of all the government support programs that are out there, the wage subsidy, the rent subsidy, the uh, SIBA loan program from the feds, and the new provincial small business grant, even if you're using all of them, uh, for many businesses that have just had the wind knocked out of them through the pandemic, it's not going to be enough to help these businesses survive. And remember, you know, we're not talking about subsidizing businesses because they are bad business owners. They've made stupid decisions. That's that's off the table. What we're talking about is otherwise healthy businesses that are being knocked out because mm-hmm. governments are putting in place rules in order to protect society. But in the process, they're killing business. We've got if 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 we're going to do this, uh, we've got to make sure that business owners are are not out as a result of this because most of them are not going to survive. We all need jobs to come back to at the end of the pandemic. Ontario's rules have have lost sense some time ago. Uh, they don't seem to be linked to any data. Um, you know, right now you can't pass a book to a customer out your door after eight fifteen p.m. Yeah, but you can line up at the Walmart and buy it. These rules, I have to tell you, uh, you know, business owners are angry about because they seem to have ceased any connection to reason. Yeah. And, you know, not only that, these are businesses like with the St. Anne Spa have spent thousands of dollars making sure that they have proper um, protocol in place and the infrastructure in place, like the, you know, the dividers and, and they haven't had any outbreaks and they're in areas where the numbers are low. It's 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 very difficult to wrap your head around. And then, as you mentioned, those big box stores allowing people in. Uh, yesterday, I went online to buy dog food at Costco. Got to be honest with you. Uh, and it was for delivery, right? It, it was up 25% for delivery. These are businesses that have been allowed to um, sell non-essential goods when independent businesses are being shut down and they're charging a premium for uh, the product. That's not a delivery cost. That's just uh, because I'm buying it online cost. That to me doesn't seem right. It mixes messages. No, I, you know, like 
uh, we are super unhappy with the Ford government. Ontario is the only province in the entire country that has imposed lockdown measures in this fashion. Ontario also has the fewest businesses fully open right now of the entire country, even where COVID is a, a much bigger thing, high, numbers higher in the prairie provinces. They've, they've allowed a pathway for safe uh, safely continuing small independent businesses. Alberta right now is opening hair salons and spas once again, uh, where, where Ontario has just put this blanket lockdown for the entire province, delinked from reason, delinked from data, uh, and, and we're deeply worried that this, you know, the consequence of this is going to be massive for many, many years ahead as we take out more and more businesses. And that's why we're putting this data out today. Dan, what would you like to see the uh, the provincial government here in Ontario do for Canadian, for, you know, their, their businesses that are struggling? There's a few things. One, we want them to revisit the, the lockdown measures. Look, I want to be clear. Businesses are not calling to go back to business as usual. They recognize there's a pandemic in place and there need to be restrictions. But, but these blanket policies are the ones that we need to have changed. And they should be borrowing approaches used in every other province outside of Ontario to, to do that. Second, uh, Ontario was the last province, last major province in Canada to announce some form of, of, of economic help for businesses. And to the point that you just described from, uh, from your listener, uh, the money is completely um, insufficient to try to help us get across the finish line. We need to make that change quickly. More businesses need to be eligible for the small business grant. Uh, those that are affected by the stay-at-home order, they too should qualify, and many, many are not. So we're pushing for an expansion of that program at the same time as a softening to allow small firms to serve a handful of clients at a time to keep a heartbeat of economic activity going. Canada Post just had an outbreak in one of their major sorting hubs. This ships uh, packages all across Canada, and this is in Mississauga. Uh, they're still running, but apparently there are tractor trailers full of packages. Do you know how, have you had any calls from people on how this is affecting the independent business trying to hold on by, um, online product delivery? It hasn't crossed my desk yet, but I can tell you, uh, you know, the, the, the unfairness of the situation between small and large exists on the online space as well. We just found out yesterday from the provincial government. You're not allowed as a business owner now after 8 p.m. to drop off on someone's doorstep uh, a product, but you can hire a courier to do that. Uh, you can you can pay Canada Post to do that, and they can deliver it at whatever hour they like. You can Amazon can deliver it whatever hour they like. The small business cannot. So we're taking why? away options. Do we know why, Dan? No, in fact, I've, I've been asking for an answer. In fact, I believe this is making COVID worse. Imagine this. If you, wanna, if you have to hire a courier, that courier now has to come into the business, pick up the product and deliver it, as opposed to the business owner or their staff person who's already there driving down the street to drop it off on someone's doorstep. And this is what I'm talking about. These rules make no sense. Nobody's given a, a care in the world about how they're impacting small businesses. They seem to be trying to protect Amazon, Walmart, Costco, the big players, and punishing small players. Only in Ontario, only the Ford government has, has announced ridiculous policies that like this that, that are, I, I believe, counterintuitive, uh, probably driving up COVID numbers rather than down, punishing small businesses in the process. 
Dan, I want to thank you for your time as always. Uh, I, I hate having you on the show because it's always bad news, but I think it's important. We need to start rattling the cage here. We need to start uh, getting the message out to people that they, they can get the message out to their MPPs and get the message to Doug Ford. We need to do something about our small businesses. The health of our economy depends on it. I really appreciate your time. One day you'll have me on to talk about something fun. Canada Post has begun testing an entire shift in Mississauga. This is at the Gateway East facility. It's a major hub. It's not immediately clear how many employees um, comprise a shift, but uh, 121 people tested positive between the new year and now, and uh, the shift is now undergoing testing. Dr. Lawrence Lowe joins the show right now. He's Chief Medical Officer of Health for Peel Region. Doctor, given all the efforts to try and keep the spread of COVID down, are you surprised to see this kind of outbreak? Uh, well, certainly the outbreak that is being reported by Canada Post is, uh, you know, really highlighting uh, one of the challenges we have in the region of Peel. Uh, so certainly in your preamble, you mentioned a lot of businesses that have closed down uh, due to the uh, pandemic uh, and, and uh, or rather, uh, you know, temporarily to help stop the spread. Uh, but one of the challenges we have in Peel is we have many essential workplaces, uh, distributing, manufacturing, uh, food processing, where jobs can't be done from home and where closure orders uh, have not had an effect necessarily in, in keeping people home. I know that they're, uh, with regard to Canada Post, they are testing um, the entire shift uh, we don't know how many people worked on that shift where 121 employees tested positive for COVID-19. Any employees who test positive will be told to go into isolation for 14 days. They say they're offering volunteer testing, to em- voluntary testing rather, to employees who work on other shifts in other areas of the facility. What is with the voluntary testing? Is this not priority when it comes to a service that so many people rely on that we test everybody when they're going in? Should we not be employing rapid testing here? Well, uh, so certainly in many workplace outbreaks uh, and investigations that we've been involved with, we've seen rapid testing become more and more available. Uh, and we do know, for example, the province has made it uh, available for employers to use as uh, uh, as a as at least a pilot uh, amongst a number of workplaces throughout the province. Uh, there definitely needs to be more rapid testing. But I think the reason why it's voluntary uh, is because you ultimately can't force somebody uh, to undergo a medical intervention. Now, we certainly hope, especially with, uh, you know, a workplace outbreak investigations, uh, that workers uh, may be willing to take a test, uh, recognizing especially if they're at risk or have been exposed. Uh, But again, you know, medical interventions are things that are consented to, not necessarily, um, uh, you know, directed. We have an enforcement blitz going on right now, inspectors uh, going to not only big box stores, but manufacturing facilities. Do we need more inspections of facilities like this? Is that what the Canada Post outbreak is 121 people that are COVID positive has shown us? Well, in Peel region, where we've seen, uh, you know, again, vast majority of outbreaks uh, continuing in essential workplaces and subsequently secondary spread within households, uh, we're talking about three big things, inspections, investigations, and protections. Uh, So certainly more proactive inspections. We know what the high-risk sectors are. We, uh, you know, we have data on our website, uh, one of the first health units in the province to do so, uh, that show and highlight all of the workplaces by sector uh, and also the cases uh, in those workplaces by sector 
as well as the hardest hit sectors. And uh, the Ministry of Labor should be resourced and given, uh, you know, appropriate um, appropriate manpower uh, to get in there and uh, make sure that they're practically inspecting, in addition to rapid tests, which is the investigation part of it, and then protections, such as for temporary agency workers, uh, you know, for uh, income supplements and paid sick days, just to really make sure people stay home if they're not feeling well. Dr. Lowe, I know you don't have much time here, so I just want to ask you in 30 seconds or less if you could answer this question for me. Should we be re-examining our lockdown right now as far as small businesses are concerned? Should we be allowing some of them to reopen with a limited number of people because the health of, of their business surviving might depend on it? You know, I think the reality is if there's anything to reevaluate, re um, it's important that they stay uh, closed right now to continue limiting contacts and to slowing the spread. We're starting to see uh, the holiday surge come down. But if there's anything that needs to be reexamined, let's get these businesses some more help. Let's get them some more help, some more uh, uh, financial aid or whatever might be given to make sure they can do the right thing. Stay home and uh, stay closed, uh, keep people home and save lives. Dr. Lowe, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Our vaccines are super important, and I know that a lot of people are uh, waiting in line. They're almost ready to roll up their sleeve at a moment's notice to get uh, the, the Pfizer vaccine or whatever vaccine uh, is available to them. So it's kind of shocking that there is dangerous misinformation about COVID-19 vaccines spreading like wildfire on social media. And uh, here to talk about it, Dr. Samantha Hill, she's president of the OMA, the Ontario Medical Association. Welcome to the program. Good to have you on. Thanks so much for having me on the air. This is worrying because a lot of us would just get the vaccine tomorrow if we could. But uh, you have uh, analyzed the data and, uh, about social media posts. What are you learning? So absolutely. We are so grateful as physicians that they've been able to develop a vaccine so quickly. It's nothing short of a modern miracle and science at its best. But what we're hearing when we do the research and we've hired a company called ASI to help us with that is that if you look at social media, you look at the trends across social media, there is a significant amount of misinformation and a significant amount of concern about this. We hear words like untested and largely experimental, which frankly is just untrue, but it's quite remarkable as to the quantity of it and how widespread it is. How, well, give us an idea of how widespread it is. So we're hearing that under the age of 25, um, the group is speaking almost aggressively about how it's not your business if I get the vaccine. And they're quite negative about following government measures. In the group between 25 and 35, for example, they're outspoken about having any mandatory health tag. And they think that there's, as a group, that the, there's a belief that it might be a genetically engineered virus and that no vaccine can be trusted and those kinds of things. And it's quite, it's quite distressing, obviously, to those of us who are working on the front lines of healthcare and know how important it is that we have buy-in and uptake of the vaccine in order to curb this before next winter. What conspiracy theory online is getting the most traction, in your opinion, that you've seen? You know, it's hard to always figure out which one it is. The one I think that I've heard the most is the idea that it's untested. And particularly, I flag that um, for some of our BIPOC communities, there is misinformation about it being untested in black communities and this being the rollout of a test. And that's untrue. I mean, the Moderna vaccine was spearheaded by a very talented black scientist and physician, I believe, who... Um, was the lead on the study. And we know that a fair proportion of the Moderna study, at least, was very well established in minority populations and in BIPOC populations. So 
So it really is quite distressing to see that kind of information take off because once someone hears it, they believe it until they hear otherwise. And it's hard to find all of the people who have read the sources and speak to them otherwise. So it's really important to get in front of this story. And I'm grateful to you for doing it. We know a lot of younger people, are not just younger people, but older people are influenced uh, by uh, social media, what they read online, and then confirmation bias comes into play and they keep looking for that same message. So how do you um, counteract what's, what's going on here? Absolutely. It's such a great question. And so uh, vaccine hesitancy has actually been on the forefront of the Ontario Medical Association's concerns since about 2019 when we started the website uh, about uh, vaccine information and vaccine truths. And it was as a result of the World Health Organization telling us that it was the next big problem. So the way we think that you deal with this is, first of all, you get out there in the media, people like you and I, and we have chats about it. We make sure that people are provided with the right information. The next thing that's really important is to ensure that you, as a physician or as a healthcare leader, educate your patients on how to differentiate between good sources of information and less credible sources of information. The easiest thing, of course, is always to ask a trusted advisor like a physician or a pharmacist or something along those lines. But uh, nurse practitioners, nurses are also great sources of information. But if you're looking at the Internet and you want to know whether or not something is credible, a large portion of it will depend on whether or not it is a reputable agency, a reputable organization, and also we ask people to invite you their logic. Is this credible? Is this something that you think makes sense? Or does it sound really surprising? And if it sounds really surprising, if it sounds sort of out there, then that would lead me as a, as a reader to go looking for more information about where they got that statement and what it's backed up by. Anyone can say anything, but unless the data shows it, unless there's proof, it's just words. Yeah, but you're president of the OMA. Arguably, you probably don't get to that position by being a lazy individual. There are a lot of people that are lazy and won't look for uh, another story to clarify what they've read, even if it seems unusual to them. They're just looking for more people to confirm that. Um, so I want to know how important this younger generation is to us that they get vaccine uh, vaccinated, uh, you know, for the sake of herd immunity. For sure. So it's essentially important that the uh, younger va- generation gets vaccinated. We know that the older generation is the one most at risk of adverse outcomes, but even the younger generation is at risk for things like long-term consequences, such as heart failure and heart muscle disease. Mm. We uh, don't know all of the full effects. Furthermore, we know that the young group has the potential to spread it across populations. And so, you know, this is the concern about kids bringing it home from school and giving it to their grandparents. But finally, I'm just going to push back a little bit on the idea that people are lazy. I don't know if it's laziness or if it's just how our subconscious mind works, that when we hear something that we already believe, it doesn't trigger us to go looking for more information. And so, you know, if people want the easiest way out and they want to know what the truth is, I'll go back to the simple answer about ask your doctor. Your doctor knows you. Your doctor knows the science. All right. And uh, finally, if I could ask about this, how do you deal with somebody in your life that is buying into these um, conspiracy theories online about vaccines not being safe? It's really hard and it gets harder the more you believe in vaccine safety and the more you believe in the essential need for vaccines. So what I would suggest to anyone engaging these conversations is first and foremost, take a deep breath. It's not meant to be personal. And when we let anger and emotion, which is a very reasonable response, but when we let that come into it, we've already lost that conversation. 
try to approach these conversations with curiosity. Ask people why they're hesitant. Ask people why they think what they think is true. Ask people where they found their sources and what else they've heard. People have an ability to push back against statements, but when you invite questions with curiosity, when you ask them to look at things, often we can get people to be much more open-minded And if we have a mutual understanding about where we are, where we're coming from, it's much easier to come to a place of logical conclusion. Doctor, I really appreciate you joining us on this. It's an important thing and and you make a lot of sense. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Stay safe. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast. Don't forget, we broadcast live three hours daily from nine till noon on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.